Amen. Well, listen, if you your Bible, turn with me to that passage. We'll be in Daniel chapter 3 this morning. Um, we're going to be splitting up this passage. We started chapter 3 last week. We'll be hitting it hard this week, and we'll be finishing it off next week. But I got in so much trouble. Yeah, whoever I'm looking at, if you'll put your light up for me, I don't want to be, ignore you guys at home this week. But um, I got in so much trouble when talking about the, uh, the statue without getting to the statue. I want to let you know, we are talking about the fiery furnace this week. But we will not make it into the furnace. That's not a bad thing, right? That's okay. So as we do that, um, we're going to be talking about how we can hear God in the midst of this noise because there's a lot of layers going on to this story. And I don't know that we can understand the, the potency of the furnace if we don't understand what led up to it. So I, since I'm having voice problems this week, I decided I would let you all have voice problems with me. Is that all right? So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to put your hand on your throat. If you're at home, you can do this with us as well. And I want you to just say in a full voice, this word is for me. This word is for me. All right, do you feel that vibration when you said that? So Sally, our children's pastor, uh, who's, who's moved up north now, taught me a lesson. She said, David, the difference between a whisper and a not whisper is if something's vibrating. So here's what you put your put your hand on your throat again. Now, I want you to try to say, this word is for me without feeling a vibration, right? As soft as you can, so you can practice just a little bit. You ready? Okay, ready? One, two, three. This word is for me. Okay, did you, did you hear? You made a sound, but nothing vibrated. So that's a whisper. Like some of you are welcome, right? Because some of us are really bad whisperers, right? But... But here's what I want you to know. A lot of times we read this passage in Daniel chapter 3, and what we look for is the loud, huge, clangy parts, of the overwhelmingly awesome parts of this passage. But where we hear God's word the most of this passage is in the whispers. Because Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they are making so much noise in this passage that it's interesting that you and I could think that the noise is where the whole message is. But I'm telling you, the deep truth of this thing is in the whisper. It, it's in what the Lord is saying, not in what the people are saying or what other people are going on with. And so if you have your Bible, go back to that passage with me. Let's look in verse Eight, excuse me, um, verse 8, as we get things started, I've got my computer working here now. Look only at verse 8 as we get into this thing. It says, Therefore, at, the at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Now follow me. This doesn't seem amazing. To, to start off our story knowing that certain Chaldeans, which were bad Babylonians, were accusing Jews, that that's not a thing. But I, I think there are times that you and I find ourselves in Babylon, right? And Babylon is not simply a place. It's the representation of the spirit, the spirit of the enemy, the spirit of that that rejects the Lord. 
And so we find ourselves in Babylon, and we're trying to navigate Babylon. Have you ever felt that way? <clears throat> Have you ever felt like you've been trying to navigate this world so that you can have your Christian witness, but also milk and, and, and function in the way that you need to function. Have you ever felt that, that you might have to make friends with the enemy in order to be enemies, to have, to have a, a purpose or a path for your life? Have you ever felt like God put you in Babylon to become a little bit like Babylon so that you could be a great witness to Babylon? I think there's this temptation. And the temptation is to believe that Babylon has something to offer you. This is the temptation, that there's something in Babylon, that there's something in this world, in this culture, hidden in other religions, hidden in financial responsibility or, or success, hidden in popularity or esteem, hidden in the repetition of men's voice, whatever it is, that there's something there for us, we might tell the Lord, it is not our all. Like, we know that, God. But there's something there for us. <clears throat> and here's why I think we believe that. Because we think that Babylon isn't all bad. I mean, don't you know some people in your life that do not profess Jesus Christ, whose direction and obligations and directions, their, their moral compass is very different than yours. But they still have redeeming qualities, right? I mean, do you know, I know a lot of people like that, that, that I, I care about them. There are things I like about them, even though they're living such a different way. What Babylon does is it tempts us to say exactly don't look at how that could reflect the Lord. Instead, look at what Babylon could add to your life, even if it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. Well, Daniel chapter 3, verse 8 kills that whole train of thought. <clears throat> Go back in. What were the Chaldeans doing? Look in your Bible. It says they came forward and did what? Maliciously accused. They maliciously accused. Do you know what that means? <clears throat> it means devour. You see, the real purpose of the Chaldeans is to devour the culture that is not Babylonian. That's it. It's not to make a place for the Jews. It's not to placate to, the, to this minority faction that is brought in. That is not the desire of the Babylonian spirit. You see, if you and I live our Christian life and our Christian witness believing that the Babylonian spirit of this world, the spirit against the Lord Almighty, cares for the cause of Christ and his people, Daniel chapter 3 verse 8 says, think again. Because the purpose of the Chaldeans is to devour your culture. We saw that in Daniel chapter 1 and we see it here now. Now, for some of you, this is as far as you can go in the sermon. Because I'm telling you, theology is being overlaid with culture in our life right now. I'm telling you that good intention is dictating the way that we believe right now. Do not believe that adding such things are for any other purpose than to devour, to devour authentic faith.
And you and I, if you and I don't see that, then we're already trapped. So their intent of the Chaldeans is to devour. Now look at verses 9 through 11, and this is where the story gets good. This is what the Bible says. And they declared to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree, and every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down <clears throat> and worship the golden idol. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, now here's what I want you to see. Here's where the Babylonian spirit is exposed. At first, to the normal onlooker, the Babylonian spirit just says, look at the people who aren't cooperating. But then when it digs in, look how it maneuvers. Don't be deceived. Don't be, don't be confused by this one. <clears throat> it goes straight to the heart of Babylonian worship. And Babylonian worship is pride. Straight to the heart. He, he comes to the king and says to the king, listen, didn't you say this? Aren't you the king? I mean, I just want to make sure we heard this right. You see, because pride, more than anything else, is stoked by feeling marginalized, doesn't it? By feeling unheard. Have you ever gotten angry because you've been screaming and no one's listening? Have you ever been made to feel small or like you didn't matter as much as others? It stokes us, doesn't it? What is it stoking? <clears throat> this, this is huge. It can only be stoking pride. There's nothing else to stoke. If, if you don't find me important and that offends me, how have I been offended in my pride? If you don't love me like you love someone else, if you don't respect my position and my authority, if you don't lean into me and I get angry, it pokes. What's it poking? It's poking pride. Why does that hurt? <clears throat> because pride is the heart of the Babylonian spirit. Look at our country right now. And thick skin doesn't even exist. Why? Because every battle is life and death. Why is every battle life and death? Because I said so. And if you don't believe me, you pierce the deepest core of who I am. You see, these, these Chaldean wise men, they knew the king. They shared his pride. So here's what we can know about pride in the Babylonian spirit. <clears throat> it was both coveted and exploited. It was coveted and exploited. It was coveted. I wanted to be important. I want to be a proud person. I want to be respected. I want to be thought well of. It's coveted. It's exploited. If I know you covet it, all I have to do to exploit it is tell you that someone is trying to nip away at it. 
Church, this morning, you may have never thought about the feelings that you're experiencing right now as pride. Because certain men who desire to devour the culture of Christ in you have told you it's about 407 other different things. That there's some righteousness to your offensiveness or to your offense. That is an affront to the word of God. That is the spirit of Babylon clothing itself in the scent of heaven. It's like LaCroix, right? Have you ever had this sparkling water stuff? You pop it open and it smells so good. And then you take a drink and there's nothing. There's not there. And if you like LaCroix, that's great. Good for you. It's healthy, I think. But it smells like heaven and it tastes like foot. It's just not something. That's the Babylonian spirit. That it smells like Jesus a little bit. It smells like heaven just a little bit. Just enough to get you to start drinking. But don't worry, the moment you drink, the exploitation begins because now you have something that you covet that can be stolen. Listen to the whisper of God in Isaiah chapter 47. This is huge, and I'll show you. <clears throat> if you don't know the prophet Isaiah, I-A-H, and Daniel, they didn't live at the same time. There's about 100 plus years, 150 years or so, between the life of Isaiah and Daniel. Okay? This is a big gap. The Lord caused Isaiah to speak about the time of Babylon to come. Isaiah chapter 47, verse 10, God says, this is how the Babylonian spirit thinks. Listen to the whisper. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge, they led you astray. And you said in my heart, I am and there is no one besides me. 150 years between Isaiah penning these words and Daniel living in the midst of it. And God says the Babylonian spirit before Babylon was, was already what it is. And the spirit of the enemy, the one who has rejected the Lord, is the same today as it was back then. And so what God says is when a Babylonian spirit, when the, when the enemy speaks, listen to what they say. They aren't concerned with you unless you can help them because the goal is to devour you because they know best. The enemy's tricky. Listen to verse 12. I love it. We're getting into the good stuff here. This is my excited voice. Are you with me? Verse 12. After all of this, they say, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. 
they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <clears throat> now we see it. Here's the first time we'll see the direction of Babylon and, and the Lord overlap unknowingly. These Chaldeans, first they know our goal is to devour the faith of God's people. Then they know how to stoke the fire, get to the pride, make someone feel marginalized, make them feel small or unimportant because pride can't handle that poking for long. And then they say, um, well, we thought so, but there are certain Jews. What certain Jews means is there's some Jewish guys. You know the Jewish guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They're not like all the other Jewish people. I mean, picture the plane. Everybody's supposed to be bowing down. Daniel is not in the area right now. And these three, well, there are certain Jews, these three guys. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you their name. And them telling them the names was meaningful. See, because when they said there are certain Jews, they're not listening. And their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what they're saying is... <clears throat> There are some unreasonable Jews. There, there are a few people whom you have gone out of your way to show kindness to. There are some people that you have gone out of your way to put into positions of influence. There are people that you have shown the most incredible hospitality to. Do you see him poking at that pride? <clears throat> And when he says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they say is, King, the ones that you called out, the ones that you have been making nice with, they're not making nice with you. Church, there's a, more, a moment when we have to realize a word said in offense by the enemy is a word said with honey by the Lord. See, with, with venom, they are calling out these men. The whole purpose is to overwhelm them. But that same thing, to call somebody out, is literally the word, is literally the, the meaning of the purpose of the word church. The word church in the New Testament is ecclesia. Do you know what the word ecclesia means? <clears throat> the ones who were called out. I mean, you see, the Chaldean spirit can make its way into our life so much that we believe that being called out doesn't bring glory to God. In fact, we believe that if we will just kind of fold into the Babylonian spirit, then in that moment we will have influence. But church, the people of God have always been the called out ones. Like we've always been the ones who are supposed to stand out. We're not supposed to fit into any camp. We're not supposed to align with any person other than the Lord. Like, that's where we are. So the word said in venom by the enemy is a vesseling of encouragement to God's people. What was flooding through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mind in this moment? Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7 and 8. I wonder if this is what they were thinking. The Lord says, listen to me. You who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man. Don't be dismayed at their revilings. 
For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation for every generation. You see, in this moment, the word is encouragement. The word is church when people call you out for living a life honoring to Christ, not following any part of your camp, not giving in or, or finding yourself bowed down before the pressure of the moment. When people call you out, that's the vessel of encouragement of the Almighty. We can't believe anything else is true because that only, the only truth that's found is in Babylon if we think that encouragement is found anywhere else from the Lord. So when this happens, the king shows something amazing. I, I don't want you to miss this. Like, the depth of what the king is about to say is the most passionate and compassionate thing I believe he can say in this moment. Verse 13 through 15, <clears throat> what we will hear is harshness. I believe with everything that I am, the king believed was an overwhelming, rational grace. Church, the priests of Babylon believe in the spirit of Babylon as truth. So don't fly over 13 through 15. This is huge. <clears throat> Let's read together. The Bible says this in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought out. And so they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true? Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Well, now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, and that'll be well and good. <clears throat> you see, I want you to know right here, we see this as a threat. And don't get me wrong, the full potency of the king is behind it. But I, can you picture Nebuchadnezzar? <clears throat> you see, if we don't understand the enemy, then we don't understand how our faith infuriates them. He is so angry, he can spit. He's already said, anyone who doesn't bow down immediately goes into the fire. No second chances. <clears throat> Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they don't bow. So what he's so angry, he calls them in. What does he do? He doesn't throw them into the fire yet. Did you catch that? You see, he's being gracious. He's being kind. Surely these men who have been so blessed by him, surely these men who have been so, so faithful... <clears throat> they just need to understand reason because it's unreasonable to hold on to all of your beliefs while we, as gracious hosts, are allowing you to even be a part of our family. 
I mean, Nebuchadnezzar just bowed down and worshiped and paid homage to Daniel a few years ago, right? He's accepted a little bit of this Jewish faith garbage. He saw some goodness in it. So surely you will understand it's unreasonable. <clears throat> it's, un it's irrational to hold on to your faith like you're holding on to it. It's irrational to want to worship when everyone around you says you're being inconsiderate if you worship. It's inconsiderate. It's unloving if you will not understand and, and lean into the Lord without community when everyone else understands that you're being dangerous. You see, as we live in Babylon right now, over the past six months, <clears throat> things are changing. And I, I'm not telling you that there aren't illnesses and sicknesses and things like that are not real. But if you and I forsake the gospel in practice, prayer, preaching, worship, and only practice it in some kind of pretense, then we have let the reason of Babylon make the reality of truth no longer truth. See, the king lays his resume down in this whole passage because the Babylonian spirit knows what's at stake. In verse 15, it goes all the way down and says, if you don't worship me, you'll immediately be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <clears throat> Let me tell you something about the Babylonian spirit. Sin deceives the sinner, but sin, the enemy, the spirit, sin is not, Satan is not sin. He is simply a sinner. But the Babylonian spirit, evil, understands a truth that he will never tell the person he's deceiving. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> the only thing the Babylonian spirit cannot overcome is the spirit of the living God. That's it. He can overcome the Republicans and the Democrats. He can infiltrate any nation, tribe, and tongue. He can make the most beautiful ugly and the worst looking beautiful. But the only thing that can threaten the spirit of Babylon is the spirit of the living God. And, and the enemy knows this. He knows the truth that every victory that he's ever been given as the king of Babylon has only come at the permission of the king of kings. That every piece of gold in his treasury box has inexplicably been allowed to be there for some reason because the living God allowed it to be the same. And if these three men in Babylon stand firm in their faith in a way that honors the Lord then they threaten to expose the reality, the rowels of Babylon. And such a threat 
will entice the enemy to nothing less than a full frontal assault. You see, today, church, for God's people, the enemy's tactic is not any different. It's, it's the exact same. Compromise is offered. Reasonable grace is extended. Political, societal language is on full display. All with the goal of making one thing happen. To make those who claim Jesus, who are living in a battle already won, forfeit before you finish. That's the point. That's all that Babylon can do to the believer. Is to full frontal come at you and make you quit while you've already won. To make you give up when the game is over. Church, as we stand today, it's the same thing in our life. Babylon wants us to compromise. And it will let us mix in a little Jesus and a little bit of it, no problem. Racial reconciliation, I'm going to say it forever. If Babylonian dirt is mixed in with the, with the blessed dirt of heaven, reconciliation will never happen because it's all Jesus and nothing else. Do you want to see our country healed? If the ground on your knees looks like red elephants or blue donkeys, you've been idol-worshiping. It better look like Jesus. You see, because that's what Babylon says. If you'll just put a little bit of our dirt on the knees of your marriage, if you'll just put a little bit of our dirt on the knees of your family, you can put as much of God's dirt as you want there too. We have room for everyone at the Babylonian table. Or better yet, you let your knees be covered with the dirt of heaven. But you just sprinkle it with a little bit of ours too because my pride needs some credit. Church, we should be praying for our countries daily. We should be praying for our leaders all the time. But if your knees reek of Babylon, stop praying. Because you need to be offering up prayers for yourself before the God Almighty. Because what Isaiah says is, the Lord smells the incense of unrighteous prayer and it is putrid to him. Because he doesn't like the Babylonian incense. It's our heart, contrite, lined up with him. What's on your knees? As you're trying to navigate the difficulties of your marriage, Look at your speech, your values, your passions. <clears throat> Don't you dare write it off as personality traits. Don't you for a moment believe that the God who made you, saved you, and redeemed you said it's okay for you to be covered in the filth of sin that he rescued you from because you have become so comfortable on the clay of Babylon.
Are you with me? That was my serious voice. Church, we only have one opponent that can defeat us. And you stare at them in the mirror every morning because a forfeit is the only way that a victor loses a battle. So how do we honor God in a foreign land? We look to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but let's open it with Isaiah because I believe this was what was going into their hearts and minds. Isaiah 43 says this, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by my name, and you are mine. Now check this out. This is where I think their confidence comes from. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Yeah, you thought Shadrach and Meshach, and they thought this in the moment. They're being threatened with the fire, and God says, you'll walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Not only that, keep going. And the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord. I am God. I am the Holy One of Israel. Church. 150 years before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever really faced the fire, God said, don't be afraid of the fire. Their testimony here is so amazing. We could be here for a month. This is how God's people respond to the enticements or the threats of Babylon. If you want to know how I believe God says we are to stand in this season, look at verse 16. This is huge, huge. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Stop. Okay. I'm smiling, and I hope you get here with me. <clears throat> the Babylonian spirit is rooted in what? Pride. The Babylonian spirit on these three men, outnumbered, they're doomed has brought a full frontal assault on God's people and somehow showed mercy because honestly a forfeit is the best outcome and then he says so listen when you hear it bow and verse 16 they say we don't have anything to say to you Could you imagine something they could have said that would have made him feel less important? Like, I'm sorry, did you, were you talking to us? Excuse me for one moment. Have you seen our testimony? Have you, do you know me? Now this is key. If Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been dishonoring God in their lifestyle up to this point, they couldn't say this. 
If they'd been claiming the Lord and living for Babylon, they couldn't have said it, church. So don't you and I dare pretend that our witness is greater than it is, but don't downplay it either. What they say is, we're not going to engage with you. Church, if the enemy can't convince you in the moment to forfeit your faith, the Babylonian spirit will try to reason with you to give up. So if you won't bow, just stay engaged. Woo them on. Lead them on. They want that. That's what the enemy is going for. But the spirit of the living God says, why in the world? <clears throat> why in the world would you think there's anything good about entertaining the enemy? The enemy thrives on it. Oh, you'll look like you're weird. Joseph in captivity, Potiphar's wife said, I want to know you. In every world outside of the Lord, that makes sense to go along with it because you're her slave. But he runs, I'm not entertaining sin. Lot, when he entertains the angels, the men said, send them out to us so that we may know them. <clears throat> For him to follow God put his life at danger. Jesus Paul, Peter, we can look at the whole scripture, church. When you and I choose not to entertain sin, then we are standing for God in Babylon, and that's the light the world needs to see. They don't need to see our wisdom to trick people into looking after Jesus. The God who forms you, made you, and redeemed you doesn't need your wit or wisdom. He gives it to us as his vessel. In verse 17, they make a statement that holds a lot of truth. It starts by saying this. We have no need to answer. If this be so, our God. You see, for us, church, and I'll go in this way, we need to understand that we have this desire and need of expression. You see, we have to make an expression of the God we worship. We can't assume that the world knows who our need bends before you can't use words when necessary and let your actions speak for themselves. If your actions aren't tied to words, they can assume that your God looks like the dirt on their knees too. So we must know that we must have an expression of the one true God. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus should be on our lips all of the time. When a, when a friend is restored, it's Jesus. When a child is healed, it's Jesus. When a loved one passes away, it's Jesus. When the world falls apart, it's Jesus. When my side wins, it's Jesus. When my side loses, it's Jesus. When I'm bruised, battered, and beaten, it's Jesus. When I'm made small, it's Jesus. When much is made about me, it's Jesus. When John fell before the angel in Revelations, he said, get yourself up. It's Jesus. Look at your speech. Look at your fingerprints. Is Jesus your expression? If you were to die right now, right now, what would be said the first thing about you? Oh, David, he was such a good deal finder. Man, that person bled for the red, white, and blue. Man, that guy, that lady, she was a friend of friends. Those are all fine things, but if it's not Jesus, it's wrong. 
It means our expression of him has not been enough. Our God is able. Our God whom we serve. You see, it's not just an expression of our witness. It's this affirmation in our lifestyle of our witness. You see, you can't just say Jesus and not affirm him in your life. That's hypocrisy. And we know that. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they show us if we're going to live and stand for lights in Babylon, if we're going to live for Christ, we must show our expression. Jesus is our only king. He is above everything else. And our life must affirm it through its actions. Our God, whom we serve, King Nebuchadnezzar, we are in your court, but we serve God. <clears throat> if your marriage is struggling now, if you're swinging with, I don't know, your view of self, depression's up three times since COVID started, look at your witness. Are you confessing, Jesus, I need you, but not affirming it with your lifestyle? Jesus, I need you to heal my marriage, but I want to affirm that I need you by following you and doing the things that cause me towards humility. Jesus, our country needs you. Hey, note to self, if Babylonian pride is destructive, guess what is redemptive? Holy Spirit, humility. Do you want to know what's going to rescue our country? It's revival. Hey, this is, a, this is legitimate. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> Redemption is coming. When the Lord returns, He redeems everything. But we can still get tastes of redemption in preparation for the feast. But as believers, our lives have to affirm our witness, the truth of ourselves. We cannot be divided on God's word. Our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. You see, we've got to be willing to give a testimony of his power and authority. Are you willing to give a testimony of Jesus' power and authority? This is something that the Babylonian spirit has convinced us that we don't need, but we need it. We need to have what God has done on our lips all the time that he might get the glory. And then finally it says, and he will rescue us. This is a statement of trust. Our God who has, he will. Church, we are called to live for the Lord constantly, all the time, trusting in him. You see, God has not called us to a faith that is weak or flimsy, to stand in Babylon, to, to move in his presence. Church, we have to know that it has to be consistent. We stand by exalting.